You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Like usual, I am Drew here with Josh and Connor. And Connor, we're going to start with you this week. How was your week, buddy? All right. Uh, it's been good. Just relaxing. More news around MLS coming out. Today I've recorded a podcast that was three hours long and I've already edited the second one, which was hour, took two hours to edit. So if I'm a little tired, that's why, but hopefully... Josh, you have a bit more energy than I do, and especially with some of the topics we're about to hit today. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I yesterday I was able to get out and uh, do some hiking with a couple of friends, and that was really nice, really good to get away and and be in nature and be away from everything in the world. And a lot more soccer has come back. Watching Premier League today, and, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Also watched the Copa Italia. Uh, but uh, yes, it's a little bit of normalcy coming back into life. So overall, I, I had a pretty good week. Uh, uh, Drew, what about you? How was your week? My week, it was pretty good. Like you guys both said, it's kind of feeling normal. David Luiz played really bad today for Arsenal. So that's like the most normal thing that's happened. Feels like in forever. Um, I was happy until I saw his NWSL to Los Angeles uh, news leak from Meg Linehan because I am, like we both mentioned last week, I am on the edge of my seat waiting for Atlanta to get an NWSL team. So when I see NWSL expansion, my mind immediately goes to Atlanta. So when I saw Los Angeles, that was kind of a bummer. But besides that, it was good seeing Arsenal lose, um, even though the Premier League's kind of just done. Um, But that was nice to see them lose. But Bayern Munich won the Bundesliga. Connor, that must... As an Alfonso Davies enthusiast, that must make you feel pretty good. Yeah, it felt pretty good. It was a little bittersweet about the red card he got. I didn't think he deserved it. Uh, it was a little questionable, in my opinion, the second one. The first yellow card was definitely worth it. Um, I saw some people saying he should have or could have gotten a red card. Still uncertain about that opinion, but... Look, they won the league for an eighth consecutive year. That's just pure domination. Dortmund come nowhere close Boring. to her. Bayern Munich are. Okay, this is coming from an MLS fan. Uh, keep that in mind. The league of parody. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, as someone who's just sort of gotten into the Bundesliga and who's got a player who's playing in the Bundesliga on that best team, I'm happy. Um, I assume, Drew, you're pretty upset. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, it's it's just boring. European soccer gets so boring. But Dortmund also lost 2 nothing to Mines this week. Today, uh, they were recording this Wednesday, they lost 2 nothing to Mines. So that's just like, it doesn't really mean anything. Everything's kind of set for the Bundesliga. But that was just like poison in the middle of all this, just watching Bayern Munich win again. But... Maybe they'll get him next year, but I think Dortmund fans have been saying that for, like, what, the past nine years, and it hasn't happened yet. So maybe next year will be a little different, though. Keep your hopes up after you lose your best player uh, and yeah. potentially t- two of your best players if Holland leaves. Hey, uh, hot take. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that Bayern Munich are going to win next year's 
Bundesliga title. Whoa, whoa, calm down there, Josh. <laughs> Go and pencil in Juventus as well for Italy. <laughs> oh, that's, I don't know about that one. That's a bit, that's a little tough. You know, I don't know if Cristiano Ronaldo's going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a really inconsistent track record of, of winning silverware. You know, he's, he's definitely, it's been a roller coaster career for Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah. But back to the NWSL news, Drew, I'm with you. I'm, I'm waiting for an Atlanta team, and I think it's a matter of when, not if, but nonetheless, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I think any time we see NWSL expansion, it's a, it's a good thing, right? MLS has been growing for so long, and NWSL is relatively new compared to MLS, so for them to be capitalizing on the Women's World Cup last year and the U.S.'s success, and hopefully the upcoming tournament in Utah brings in some new fans, some new eyes, and is super entertaining and, and can lead to even more expansion so that hopefully sooner rather than later Atlanta or other deserving markets get a women's soccer team can only bring about, I think, positive growth in those markets. Um, it's also worth noting that there are reports along with that news today that apparently LA Galaxy are involved in this supposed expansion, which is uh, really interesting because I think so far, if I'm correct, just Portland is the only team affiliated with the MLS team, correct? Uh, No, the Houston Dash are affiliated with the Dynamo. Um, That's right. The Pride with Orlando City. So there's a, yeah, there's a couple. Yeah, so I think... You know, it's, it's a smart decision, in my my opinion, to build off of a sure thing like MLS because it's so established at this point. Being you know having twenty six clubs across more than twenty markets in in you know b- building off of that into NWSL is a smart thing. Um, you know, and like we were talking about with Atlanta being such a big deal, um, I think it would be cool to see a, a united partnership between LA United and whatever women's soccer team. And, and LA has, has exploded the last few years with LAFC coming onto the scene, which is in turn kind of pushed Galaxy just a little bit. So I think it's really interesting that the, the Galaxy are jumping on that. I wonder if with how successful LAFC has been in just these two years, Galaxy kind of saw this as like a a, a race to space, right? Race to the moon. Like we got to be there first. Right, they got to scoop in and get that that women's team so that they can establish their brand a little bit more and 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 reestablish themselves as the alpha dogs in LA because it hasn't really been that way the last couple of years. Yeah, and when you you look at Meg Linehan, she's the one who broke the news. You look under her first reply under that tweet is Josie Altador. So that's a huge MLS name who's getting involved uh hoping i think he was pushing for one in toronto which is pretty cool uh we just got an nwhl team which is the women's hockey league um after the cwhl fold rip so hopefully toronto gets one pretty soon you need one up in canada if you really want to be huge in the north american market in my opinion so we'll see yeah i mean canada's always produced a lot of really good talent in the women's game with christine sinclair um, the best goal scorer the game's ever seen coming from Canada. Um, but I thought it was interesting that's the Galaxy getting in on this in Los Angeles and not LAFC because if I'm remembering correctly, Mia Hamm is in LAFC's ownership group. 
So when people are thinking NWSL to LA, they kind of automatically make that connection. And to see that it's not LAFC was definitely something to raise the eyebrows at. But that's cool. NWSL is expanding in 2021 with Louisville. Um, in LA, that's definitely another market that players are going to want to go to. Um, so it hasn't been confirmed. We can't for sure say that Los Angeles is getting an NWSL team, but that's kind of been a rumor for a while. And news broke, I believe it was this morning, um, while we were recording this on Wednesday. So that's just another step in the right direction. Um, but other soccer news, uh, EMLS is back kind of after we had that little tournament during the hiatus. But, um, yeah, the bracket's been announced, and it kicks off June 26th, so pretty soon. Um, I, for one, enjoyed EMLS for a while. We talked about it, so I'm happy to see it back. Are you guys excited to see MLS, EMLS make this comeback? For, for me, the coolest thing was seeing these announcements made today um, by MLS and EMLS and looking at the main bracket and knowing almost all of the EMLS players and remembering them from the tournament a few weeks ago. So, like, to look at the bracket and see, like, Alexander and um, uh, Diddy Crislito from NYCFC, Remy Martin from L.A., like, seeing the bracket, I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, I know these guys. Like, if the the tournament special is anything to go off of, like, I think I could almost predict like how these guys are going to do. So for me, that was pretty cool. And even in the, just from looking at it, it looks like there's like a play in bracket where one person makes it to the playoffs and the rest of the playoffs is already set from the top. What is it? uh, 11 players. And there's a 12th spot. And even looking at the play in bracket, there's kid Mamito from Houston. There's, uh, King, uh, CJ from DC that I recognize. Um, so for me, and then there's even a couple others. So at least on my end, you know, I, th- I thought it was cool to be able to look at those brackets and recognize all those guys. You got any uh, opinions on it, Connor? I'm going to be honest. I didn't even know this was happening. Uh, so this is new news to me as well for all you listeners. Um, but if Toronto C Phil B94's involved. Go Phil B94. Uh, I think EMLS and esports in particular is the way of the future. Uh, it's inevitable that it's going to blow up and kind of has blown up. So the fact that MLS is capitalizing on it right now in the middle of a pandemic before their season's resumed, I think is huge. And look, there's nothing but positives that can come out of it, realistically. So speaking of Phil B94, uh, he's playing Duelsta from Nashville SC, which, side note, uh, Extra Time Radio, uh, MLS brand podcast. Um, they actually interviewed Duelsta a few months ago, so I remember him from that. Um, but Philby's playing Duelsta, and the winner of that game will play Paulo Neto from Atlanta United. So we could get a rematch from the tournament special for those that remember Phil B94 and Paulo Neto, they played, and that ended up being one of the best uh, matchups that we saw. So um, that we could get one of those rematches, and, and we'll have to see if it's just as good as uh, the, the tournament special. Yeah. Um, other sports news that isn't related to EMLS 
Harry Ship retired, which I think was pretty unexpected for a lot of people, only being 28. Uh, he spent time with Chicago, Montreal, and was most recently with Seattle. What do you guys make of this? Because it wasn't really, nobody really saw it coming. It's just sort of out of the blue, and he's still relatively young as it is. Yeah, I mean, I think young retirements are becoming more and more common across sports. I think like Calvin Johnson in the NFL, he retired with the Detroit Lions when it's still pretty relatively young. You have Andrew Luck retiring when most people consider him still relatively young. And I think he's going to Northwestern in Chicago to get his master's degree. Um, And we talked a little bit before on the podcast how this might be like the perfect timing for him to do that because with the uncertainty of this MLS's back tournament, um, maybe there's kind of hesitation to go and play anyway for him. So he might have just seen this strange tournament as, you know, the tipping point to where he wasn't really sure if he wanted to play at all, and then they changed, and the virus affects um, how the season plays out. So that might have just been the straw that broke the camel's back on for him uh, to go get his master's degree. But, yeah, I think... You know, if this were to happen a couple of years ago before we have seen other athletes doing this, it would be a lot stranger, I think. But because we've seen this more and more, it came out of the blue, like you said, Connor. So that was totally unexpected. But it's not anything we haven't seen before in other sports, in my mind. I think another important side of it as well is, you know, how does this affect Seattle going into this tournament, right? Because, yeah, Harry Ship wasn't a regular starter for them and he wasn't uh you know, super integral player for them, but this affects depth and this might be the most important time to have depth on your team. And it's hard to do that in MLS because of the roster rules and the salary cap. So I don't think it'll necessarily cause problems for Seattle, but it might be interesting, you know, what if Raul Ruiz Diaz, you know, picks up an injury or, or one of the other main attackers for Seattle picks up an injury. Now you don't have Harry Ship. So Either you don't have a replacement for him or you have to sign a USL player or an academy player just for the tournament. And and right then, that's a lack of experience, which is going to be really important for this thing. So hopefully, Ship's retirement it, you know, is something that the team already knew about. I imagine they do. And uh, hopefully, it doesn't really affect the uh, team too much. And for all we know, he may just not want to have had to have gone down to Florida to deal with Matt Gates and that policy that he announced that he was trying to repeal. Uh, Josh, it's your time, buddy. Time to go off. Yeah, so I don't want to give this guy uh, too much attention, uh, just to put it <laughs> just to put it real plainly. I mean, the guy's a clown. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that <laughs> he saw this new... Well, actually, real quick to circle back, we talked about it last week a lot, but the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation did end up repealing their rule, uh, banning kneeling during the national anthem. So it's about time. Rule, again, should have never been in place. So it's really good. And one other thing, we all, like the three of us were very adamant that we really hoped that the U.S. Soccer Federation would hit all the really key points in this whole uh, topic, this discussion, the situation that the country and the world is dealing with. And they did. They talked about Black Lives Matter. They talked about police brutality. They mentioned Rapino. They mentioned Colin Kaepernick even. So I will go ahead and say that I was extremely impressed with the statement on that policy and the fact that 
the Federation did what was right, took it away, and then on top of that, apologized, said all the right things, is excellent. It's a great first step, and hopefully there aren't really issues going forward. Uh, that being said, I cannot imagine that uh, Mr. Gates is, is going to have any luck repealing this rule. Um, yes, the national teams are part of the country. They are part of a government-run um, branch, I guess. The, you know, the U.S. Soccer Federation is, by definition, part of that. But that being said... Honestly, I don't think enough people care. It's soccer. Soccer is not even one of the most popular sports in this country. So I, I can't really imagine anybody being angry enough about this to, to have any traction. So, And you know what? It did warrant a response from President Trump, but nobody cares. Nobody cares. So that's that's the positive takeaway. It's been, I think, a little over a week since those statements were made. Nothing to follow that up. It's honestly probably at the back's at the back of people's minds now. Um, so hopefully that's the end of it, and congrats to Mr. Gates for getting his five minutes of fame in the U.S. soccer community. Uh, may he govern Florida to the best of his ability. And we should mention Florida is the next, or I guess the only host of the next MLS tournament. So look forward to that, everybody. Um, other than that, we should touch on the Vancouver situation. This is something that I saw somebody tweet this earlier. I believe it was Dwayne Rollins, who's a broadcaster, soccer broadcaster up in Canada, uh, said, there's always got to be one Canadian franchise who is just a complete mess. And right now that is the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, yesterday, I believe, or the last two days ago, Vancouver fired their CEO, who they'd hired in January, to, I believe it was, the reason they gave was streamline the business, if I have that correct. I just, I don't know what to say to that. Like, they hired the guy in January. He's got a good track record. He knows what he's doing. People seem to relatively like him. And they did this, this is what really drove me nuts. They did this while he was away, Mourning the passing of his father. His family were planning to move up to Vancouver to start a new life, and they did it now. Like, what kind of morals do you have to have, or lack of morals, actually, do you have to have to do that to a person? I, it, I wish I... Go ahead. No, I'm just... It's just frustrating. Frustrating. I was going to say, I wish I could be surprised, or I wish I was surprised. My, I don't really know much about Vancouver, and Drew, I'm interested to hear your opinion as the resident Vancouver Whitecaps fan. Um, the, the only thing that I really know about Vancouver as far as the organization and how they run things is the allegations about the youth coach that was sexually harassing some of the the underage female players and that whole scandal and, and how awful that whole situation was. So with that being my only main thing of knowledge towards the Whitecaps organization, I can't say I'm surprised that they'd pull a move like this. I would assume as a Whitecaps fan, like you gotta be super disappointed in how this organization keeps shooting themselves in the foot like this. Uh, Drew, what do you think about this? Um, yeah, I think first your initial thoughts are very correct. 
Um, and Vancouver fans are not happy with this because I'm on this like Vancouver Whitecaps Facebook group, right? And the general consensus of this move was that um, Penes, who was fired, they were they've been saying that he was too honest um, for the Whitecaps organization. And although the Whitecaps right had an abysmal 2019 season, it kind of felt like they were. Um, taking a step in the right direction with the signing of Lucas Cavallini um, and the signing of Mark Dos Santos as a head coach. So although this season wasn't that good, there was this positive vibe around the Whitecaps fans that they were kind of this rebuilding stage and eventually it was going to come through in a couple years. But this move kind of just knocked all that down. Um, so it's just, again, like Josh said, it's unfortunately it's not surprising because the Whitecaps front office does not have the best reputation right now. So it's just another thing that they've done horribly wrong. Um, And I didn't know about the passing of his father until Connor said that earlier when we were getting ready for the podcast. And that just makes everything so much worse. Um, So, again, it's one of those things that, unfortunately, I think Whitecaps fans aren't too surprised about because lately the organization hasn't been ran very well. And this is following a pretty successful little stint there. I mean, 2015, 2016, the Pedro Morales, Eric Hurtado days, when they were a legit MLS Cup contender. Um, I mean, the year when Portland won MLS Cup, the Cascadia's first champion, there was talks about Vancouver possibly doing that. So to see the organization go from MLS Cup contenders to where they are now is pretty disappointing for it to happen in a five-year span. They followed their hockey team and their route for failure. Except the hockey team has a shot this year, though, man. They got they got that little playoff expansion to them. Uh, you're reaching on that one. I know Elias Pedersen's good, but that's Bo a bit Horvath. of a reach. Quinn Hughes is my king. Crap. That's a hockey podcast. Yeah. If you want a hockey podcast, listen to my other podcast. No, I'm kidding. I won't do that. Um, yeah, do we have any other thoughts on the Vancouver firing other than the fact that it's terrible, completely immoral, and somehow not surprising? The only other thing I'll add is, you know, as an as an MLS fan, I'm, I'm disappointed to see it because the biggest thing that I've seen, granted this is just from Twitter and, and Twitter at the end of the day, is a minority voice. But that being said, it just seems like so many fans are upset with this decision. It really seems like... Um, this guy was making really good waves in Vancouver, was really turning things around, was repairing relationships with fans, between fans and the club. So for them to fire him, it just seems like two steps backwards after a step that appeared to be one step forward. So disappointing as a, as a fan of the league because Vancouver is a team that hasn't been doing well in recent years. And I don't want to see clubs get left in the dust as the league continues to grow as it continues to improve in all facets uh, so that that part of it is disappointing to kind of observe from the side yeah i'd have to agree it's something you wish they'd do better with but feels like routinely professional sports teams are failing to meet fan expectations and morality standards uh, you know you look at I believe it was real salt lake they're currently not doing very well with the whole pandemic stuff and how every other organization's handled this COVID-19 drama and issues and paying employees and all that. It's not ideal, but look, we're getting soccer back and as fans, that's what we got to look forward to. Um, 
If you've been living under a rock and haven't seen this somehow, MLS is back tournament. Uh, the most creative name that the MLS could think of <laughs> is somehow became MLS's back tournament instead of something like the Disney Cup or Mickey Mouse Trophy or anything along the lines of Disney, just to add that little bit of comedy and self-deprecation. The Returnament. I saw that on Twitter. The oh, Returnament. Someone hire Josh as MLS's. No, 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 I, I can't. Guy. I can't take credit. I don't. I don't know who said it on Twitter, but I saw that. Thought it was hilarious, and so that that one along with Miss Mickey Mouse Cup. Those are my favorites. Someone find those tweets and share them to us. I'm still hoping for the Corona Cup, sponsored by Corona. Uh, I think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, it's a little, a little too soon. <laughs> hey, it'd be funny. It'd be. I did. I'd enjoy it. I'd enjoy it. Well, humor in a pretty negative situation but look it's back i think that's the biggest positive uh we'll dive into the draw the rigged draw in a second but the actual tournament will be featuring five groups of four one group of six they moved nashville to the east making it the west group if you saw their tweet uh which was legendary um excellent content excellent content social crew killed that one but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought the format works. Uh, the six teams kind of get screwed a little bit, but hopefully they figure that out. There was a Yahoo article pretty recently which sort of broke down a way that they, MLS could potentially fix the issue. But I'm not complaining. Toronto got off nicely. Uh, what do you guys think of the tournament and the style of the tournament? I am incredibly excited for this. Um One of the best things about the summer, especially for students slash teachers, which is what I have been since I was five, um, part of having the summer off is having a soccer tournament in the summer, whether it be World Cup, men's or women's, whether it's Euros, whether it's Gold Cup, Copa America. There are so many different soccer tournaments that happen in the summer. And one of the best aspects of the World Cup is the group stage because you wake up every single day depending on where the tournament is taking place you wake up at five in the morning or you wake up at 9 a.m you make your breakfast you drink your coffee and you just watch soccer for six hours straight and it is glorious in fact in the 2018 world club world cup so i just moved in into the house i'm currently in with four other roommates i was at the time the only soccer fan in the house And I wasn't even that serious of a soccer fan, hadn't even really been following, but I knew I wanted to watch the World Cup because it's the World Cup, it's exciting. Well, every morning I'd go downstairs, I'd watch those games in the morning, and without a doubt, every single day, at least one of my roommates would just wander in and sit down, and they'd watch. And now... I've got pretty much all of them hooked on soccer. We all play soccer. We go to the Atlanta United games. They now watch the Premier League and the Bundesliga with me. Whatever it is, you name it, they like soccer now. They have discovered a love for the sport. And just having those games on the TV in the mornings got them hooked. So that aspect of it, I'm super excited. Granted, it's not three games back-to-back for those that don't know. Games will be at 9 a.m., 8 p.m., 10.30 p.m., which we'll get your guys' opinion on that in a second. But I'm excited for that. The, the, the prospect of waking up and watching a game and then also ending my day with a game 
is really exciting. Getting three games a day is also something really excited, and it's going to be like that for a couple of weeks. So personally, I'm super excited. What do you guys think about the tournament? What do you guys think about the the group stage times? Because it kind of seems like some people have been uh, very – it's been a polarizing subject. Some people are upset with the game time slots, and some people are not. Uh, Drew, what do you think about the tournament and these times? I think the times are, I mean, obviously it's not the ideal situation, but specifically I'm thinking of Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver fans and Los Angeles as well. When you have this 9 a.m. kickoff for us on the East Coast, um, I can't imagine watching a soccer game at 6 in the morning if I have my time zones right. And for us, we staying up to 10.30 to watch soccer, although it's kind of normal. We're kind of used to it watching Los Angeles games here on the East Coast. But it is a good point. You're trying to beat the Orlando summer heat, which I went to Disney World as a kid in the summer like once, and it was brutal. So I can't imagine playing soccer during it. So it makes sense. Um, I think it is really interesting that as European games are coming back, those games are kicking off around 12, 2-ish, if I have my time slots right. So it's kind of an interesting little gap there where you could potentially wake up, watch MLS at 9, and then get your afternoon of your Premier League or Bundesliga and then end it with MLS. So I think it's kind of strategic. I'm not, I don't hate it. Um, I think it makes sense. It's unfortunate for the West Coasters having to wake up that early, but if they want to do it, go for it. I know Seattle and Portland love their soccer. So I think they did the best thing that they could. Um, I do like the prospect of watching three games, three MLS games a day uh, filled in with Premier League and Bundesliga. So I'm not too negative on the time slots uh connor what are your feelings about it uh is it controversial to say that i hate it no because i think objectively looking at the times it's wacky why do you hate it though because anybody on the east coast or not east coast west coast is just absolutely ruined if they get a nine o'clock start time like you're not going to wake up at six in the morning to watch a soccer game and that's you have to actually get up and get out of bed to watch that game, which is hard enough as it is at nine o'clock. Never mind, it's six o'clock in the morning. I think it's just kind of screwing the people on the West Coast. If they get the late games every time, that's not that big an issue. But I also don't want to wake up at nine in the morning on the East Coast to watch New England and Philadelphia play because I think that's a group. So is Philadelphia or DC and? Toronto's group. We'll get into that in a second, but I'm just, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I kind of wish it was more realistic times, but I get you got to do what you got to do. It just seems kind of unfair to non-East coasters. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just really dislike it. It doesn't feel like a soccer time to me. Yeah. You know, kind of go back to the world cup thing, right? The when there's group stage play and there are three games a day or two games a day, they're usually back to back, back to back to back, whatever. And it is, it's weird to have this one game in the morning and then these two games at night. To me, there are two really, really interesting situations that arise from this. So let's pretend we are officials at MLS and we're in charge of making the schedule. Do you put your prime time matchups at 9 a.m. so that, people in Europe are seeing these games 
Now, this becomes a problem for teams like Seattle, Portland, the LA teams that will be playing each other somehow ended up in the same group, which we'll touch on in a little bit. Somehow. That, that, that's okay. like that's like the that's like the biggest this is a huge conundrum. I can't imagine because as as we're as of recording this on this Wednesday, their schedule has not been released, so we don't know what days and what times these teams are playing each other. So it's if I'm an an, an MLS executive, I am in a pickle because part of me wants to put El Trafico at 9 a.m. so that we get tons of European eyes. But then part of me is like, we're screwing over the fans that are actually in these home markets by, like you said, Connor, having these games at what would be 6 a.m. for them. So I think that's really interesting. Another interesting aspect of it is every team is playing three games. I think a fair way to do it would be to have you play a game in every single time slot. You have one 9 a.m. game, you have one 8 p.m. game, you have one 10.30 p.m. game. That way it's fair. Everybody has to deal with the intricate um, situations, individual situations that go with each game because, you know, every player is used to a game day routine, and that game day routine includes, at the earliest, I think a 1 o'clock game, 2 o'clock game. And most games are usually never that early. So to jump everything forward three hours, I, I can imagine that the players are kind of frustrated with it. But like Drew said, it's a, it's out of necessity. It's This is by no means what MLS wants to do probably, but because of the heat in Orlando, it's just unbearable. And it's probably going to suck anyway at the times that they're playing, except maybe the 10.30 slots, probably bearable by then. But the 9 a.m. and the 8 p.m., because the sun is still up, for a little over an hour at 8 p.m. in Orlando. So that's that's got to suck. So I think those are a couple interesting situations that, you know, I wonder, I assume that the league already has the schedule figured out, so it's going to be really interesting to see where some of those, like, marquee matchups happen in time slots and whether or not MLS is even trying to get European eyes. They might not care that much. Hopefully they do. I, I would think it would be great if more people watched MLS around the world because... The league is just so much fun. But moving on a little bit, we talked about the draw briefly. Or I'll come back. We'll come back to you in a second, Connor, for that. But you probably, actually, I'm pretty sure you have some feelings on this draw. Some people calling it rigged. Some people not. For those that uh, missed it, Charlie Davies pulled ping pong balls. Uh, ping pong balls, sorry, out of what looked like his own punch bowl from his pantry. So that was that was a fun experience. Uh, did you guys catch the draw? What were your thoughts, Connor? Let's hear you first. Uh, okay, I'm going to jump back to the tournament for a second, then I'll jump to the draw, because uh, I have some strong feelings about this draw. But I don't think any games will be in the morning, because I don't think MLS is catering to, European, to a European audience. I think their prime target right now has to be getting North American eyes because that's how you get all your money that's how you get the ticket revenue which is how a lot of franchises earn profits it's how you sell merchandise it's how you up the tv deals the broadcast deals in north america and i think those games have to be in at night in order to people in order for people to watch like you're not going to put toronto montreal at nine in the morning to appease 15,000 or however many european eyes you'll get when they'll realistically just be watching a European league, in my opinion. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up was the 9 o'clock slot does seem kind of interesting to me because how are players going to adapt to that? 
you mentioned that they're used to a game day routine. That'll be like right after they normally be eating breakfast. And will that affect their play? Will that make them all sick? Which wouldn't surprise me. Will it affect their endurance? I think there's a lot of variables to this that we haven't really considered and could really do a deep dive on. But on the draw, this was the single most rigged thing I've ever seen. Genuinely. Like, come on. You tried to hide it by moving Portland from the Seattle-Vancouver group to the LAFC-LA Galaxy group and keep the Houston-Dallas apart and then keep the two New York, New York clubs apart. But that's it. Like, every other rivalry is there. You got Toronto-Montreal, you got Seattle-Vancouver, like, Atlanta-New York Red Bulls. I think it's just so blatantly set up that they picked, okay, we're going to have these guaranteed these two teams in the same group. From the rest of the pool, we'll just pull randomly. So I'd have a massive asterisk to this draw. Um, I'm looking at the tweet now that MLS put up about the draw, and the very first reply is, this is weirdly regional for a random draw. Just saying. And boy, oh boy, are they right. Drew, do you share my opinions, or are you one of the believers at MLS? (laughs) Uh, I do share your opinion, Connor. And before I get into it, I'm not disappointed in the groups themselves. So a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, we talked about um, how we want to do the seeding. And my seeding included a lot of rivalry games. So I'm not upset that we're getting El Trafico in the group stage. I'm not upset that we're getting Seattle-Vancouver. Um, I'm very not upset we're getting Red Bulls and Atlanta United. I can't wait to watch that. But I would have rather MLS came out and just said plain that these are the matchups that everyone wants to see, so we're putting them in the same group together. I think that although it seems kind of iffy, it's you're being honest and you're not hiding anything. And to be honest, I think most fans would agree that we want to see El Trafico. We want to see Red Bulls in New York. Um, and even, yeah, we get Columbus and Cincinnati, which I don't know if that's even a rivalry or not, but MLS is pushing that. So... I don't hate that there are rivalries in there. Um, Again, I would have rather MLS just came out and said, we want rivalries to happen. We don't want to lose that flair and that feel in this tournament, so we're going to give those to you anyway. But like Connor said, because they kind of hid behind this random draw, it just puts a weird taste in my mouth that this just isn't... I mean, I'm not mad that it wasn't random. I'm mad that they disguised it as a random draw. Um, I'm all for rivalries. Like I said, I mean, when I did my little seating idea, it was full of rivalries. I even had the two LA teams together. So seeing that actually happen is awesome. But I would have rather them just came out flat up and said, this is what we're giving you instead of hiding behind ping pong balls in a punch bowl. So I disagree with you guys that it was rigged. I don't... I. <laughs> I don't think the the league is capable of it. I, yeah, obviously, you know, there are tons of, of weird coincidences. I will say I, I called that L.A., the El Trafico in the slack. It was like a few minutes before, and I was like, all right, calling it now, guys. They're going to they're gonna draw the L.A. teams together, and sure enough, they did. Um, <laughs> but I, I did see, I think it was a producer for the MLS website or an MLS official say, 
you know, I can't believe people thought this was rigged. Like we had to do this like really short notice. So it looked super unpresentable with Charlie Davies and his punch bowl. But uh, I'm, I'm with you, Drew. Like I, I wish the league had come out and just straight up said, this is how we're going to draw the groups, you know, as opposed to going through this whole, you know, quote unquote debacle of a draw. Um, you know, and it's really, they, the league did themselves no favors by withholding that Miami and Orlando would be the first game. For some reason, they decided to not tell the public. So when a Miami reporter found out that Miami was automatically drawn into Orlando's group, that's what started the whole, oh, this is rigged. Like, why can't MLS just tell us that it's rigged? They should have just come out and said Miami will automatically be drawn into this group so that we can open this tournament in Florida with the two Florida teams. But they did. They just didn't say that. Sometimes I feel like MLS just skips the most simple step. They ignore the easiest thing to do, and they just make things harder on themselves. And you know what? It could be frustrating, but you got to admit it is entertaining as hell. There is there is nothing that beats the the pure inconsistency that is MLS from the top down, whether it's the teams on the field or the way the league decides to do draws or the way the league decides to organize things. It's just unpredictable, and that's what makes it so much fun, even if it is frustrating at times. But... That's that's all I have to say about the the draw. You got something, Connor? Yeah, I was just gonna say I think it's too predict or too lucky, shall we say, that Toronto and Montreal ended up in the same group. Atlanta Red Bulls ended up in the same group. The two Galaxy sides ended up in the same group. With the gal, not the Galaxy, the LAFC supporter looking off screen and reading something before he made the pick. <laughs> Like, I just can't see how it isn't rigged. Like, I know we want to, we hope that it isn't, but this is MLS we're talking about. Like, the guy can claim that it's not rigged all he wants, but realistically, it's not hard to rig it. All you got to do is match the balls with the teams and then send the list to all the representatives. And with the way the LAFC supporter reacted, it sure looks like they sent a list, in my opinion. But... What do I know? I'm just some random fan-sided contributor person who has no insider knowledge. But if it were me, I'd scream. It just screams that it was was set up. Just screams it. Drew, you got any thoughts before we uh, move on to some more information from this tournament? No, nothing. Nothing that hasn't been said. I'm all for rivalries. I can't wait to watch it. Like Josh said, I'm still super excited for this tournament. It's like an MLS World Cup, which I didn't know I needed until now. So now I can't wait. But again, just the hidden, like the possibility that this was rigged. Um, maybe it wasn't rigged. Maybe MLS has just got really bad luck, which is possible as well. But yeah, still super excited. MLS is back um, with European leagues being over or essentially over with teams 25 points ahead of the table. Um, it's good to have something new and something fresh. So I'm excited about it, even if the draw random was questionable or not. I think everybody's exciting, excited for it. We just want to have soccer back, uh, especially in MLS. Like, we're going to be, uh, we, MLS is probably going to be one of the first leagues back 
other than NWSL, who we've touched on, I believe it was last week. And then somehow baseball's come out of the blue again, but that might not happen. We don't know. Right now, MLS is the only major professional sports league, that men's professional sports league, that will be playing sports until the end of July. So I think that's just a huge W for fans, for supporters, for reporters, for everybody in the MLS community, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so just to, to piggyback off of what Connor said, and this will actually seg- segue nicely into the, the next things we're going to talk about with this tournament. MLS is the first men's league coming back in North America. They've got the NBA beat by about a month because the NBA will be joining them in Disney towards the end. Um, so MLS has to do everything in its power to entertain people, which for guys like us and for those that listen, you know that MLS is super entertaining as it is. So hopefully we get a lot of that weird individual flair. Uh, that being said, shortly after the draw, I think it was the following day, Don Garber had a significant conference call with tons of uh, reporters from around the country so we've got tons of details, tons of information to sort of sift through. It's a lot of quick bullet points. But the first main thing, and this goes hand in hand with keeping people's attention and entertaining people, Don Garber said, quote, new audio and camera technology will be used on TV broadcasts, end quote. So I ask you guys, Drew and Connor, what do you guys want to see technology-wise from these broadcasts or anything that comes to mind specifically we've already talked about um, artificial crowd noise being used in Bundesliga and even today with Premier League coming back what are your guys' thoughts what's something that you guys want to see from this quote-unquote new technology Drew let's start with you I am very excited to see um, if how they incorporate fans because I think the Premier League did it today as they kind of restarted their league after the break, but they had like fans on Zoom calls or something, and they put them on just massive TVs on each end. And I don't know if any league in the United States is planning on doing that or will do that. Uh, So that will be very interesting. I think that would be cool to try out again. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the fields these guys are going to be playing on, if there's even room for that. But if there is room, I think it's something you can try out. Um, I think about the artificial crowd noise, how that was kind of iffy on some people's minds, and then it happened, and now everyone loves it. Um, well, not everyone, but pretty wide accepted. Uh, I do hope to see artificial crowd noise in these MLS games as we've experienced that in Bundesliga, and I don't know if the EPL did it today or not. But artificial crowd noise uh, hit a home run. I think it's better than I thought it was going to be. But um, specifically, I want to see the MLS use, um, not the MLS, just MLS. That's a different rant. But I want to see MLS use, um, yeah, the TVs at each end of the field. Maybe that will keep fans engaged in the game. I don't know how you decide which fans get on the TV, but that's just something. Maybe you give season ticket holders the chance to get on the TV. Um, But that will be interesting. Again, I don't know if any league in the United States is doing that or trying it, so I think MLS is a cool shot uh, to give it a whirl. And if it fails, it fails. Um, do it for a game, see how it works out, and then cut it out. Um, but if it succeeds, then you're on to something, and you can try it later. So specifically, that's what I want to see. So quick side note before, Connor, you tell us what you want to see. Uh, as In regards to artificial crowd noise, Bundesliga, 
the the Fox broadcasts, they used old stadium sounds from past games. Today, with the Premier League coming back, NBC Sports used FIFA. They used sounds from the FIFA video games as their artificial crowd noise. Uh, and personally, I couldn't tell a huge difference. It definitely sounded a little off. And funnily enough, um, one of the one of the many career modes I've done on FIFA, I, I spent time as a Man City player in that career. And today, watching the Man City game, I'm pretty sure I heard one of the chants from the video game coming through for a quick second, uh, which was very, very amusing. But a lot of people did not like the FIFA sounds that were used today. A lot of people preferred how FS1 and Fox, the Fox family of networks, how they handled the artificial crowd noise. So it's really early on in this process. It's only been a few weeks, and it's only been one day with the Premier League's version of it. But it seems like there's sort of a right way and a wrong way to do artificial crowd noise. So it'll be interesting to see if MLS does anything on that route. That being said, Connor, what's something you want to see technology-wise? Uh, well, I think 2K is also doing it as well, uh, or NBA is doing it with 2K. I think that was a rumor that they're going to use that for crowd noise. I'm not a huge fan of it, so I don't really want to hear it, but if they do it, they do it. They don't, they don't. I'm cool with it. I actually really like your idea, Drew, using the TVs. I think you could do something charitable around it where you make it like a bidding war, uh, and then the proceeds go to a charity and, one of like each TV is auctioned off, so that one TV like goes to a local charity in Toronto. One goes in one in in Atlanta, and it goes to different uh, foundations fighting like COVID nineteen and coronavirus, trying to help with that sort of thing. I think that could be really cool. Personally, I want to see different camera angles. Like I want to see uh, if you're familiar with what the NFL does, or it's a Canadian invention, invention, but basically there's a camera that's on cables and it goes like follows the play a bit. I think that would be really interesting to see how like following a penalty kick or a free kick or anything like that. I think that'd be really neat to see it from behind uh, or like even just following the play, following a goal. Uh, they did it really well in a football broadcast recently, which went kind of viral. And I like that a lot. Um, other than that, you threw, or I think, uh, was it Josh or one of you two threw ref body cam in there? I think that could be pretty neat. Yes. You would definitely have to have it muted uh, because I can tell you that won't be PG. But I think that could be really interesting. They do that in hockey where they put it on the referee's helmet for some Saturday night games in Canada. And I like that a lot. Um, players mic'd up would be interesting as well, which is also in the document. I'm not sure if uh, Josh, you're going to jump into this a little bit. Uh, I assume you will, but other than that, I think maybe seeing like a camera on a track at the sidelines following play up and down the field, as opposed to in a solidified spot where they're moving, I think that could be really interesting to see if that works. Uh, it could potentially be a future TV idea. I like look. I'm in going into the broadcast industry, so like seeing any of this stuff is cool, and I have a ton of different ideas in terms of it. A lot of which probably wouldn't work, but I'd like it. Maybe like goalpost cams, and that could be pretty interesting. Or camera in the top of the crossbar. Um, different camera, like instead of having a cam, like only one camera, like cameras on one side of the field, you go to the other side of the field at the same time. So instead of having a player block a 
or players' body blocking uh, chance, they can switch sides when plays on the near side or on the far side. I think that could be really interesting for fans to get a different perspective. I'm sure it would mess with people's heads, but I'd like that. Maybe cameras are behind the goals, uh, like real cameras, you know. With it being a specific one stadium, which we'll get into in a second, because um, I do have a couple issues with that, I like it. I like how they're being innovative. Um, there's really no negatives that could come out of it. Well, there are negatives, but ideally there won't be any. So as long as they don't do a glowing soccer ball, I'll be happy and we can all celebrate. Yeah, so in the in our in our rundown of all the things we're going to talk about today, I threw up a couple of options and one of those was the ref body cam and another was players mic'd up. Like you said, Connor, players mic'd up is is a tricky one because uh, you know, lots of lots of foul language on the field, lots of trash talking that uh, little kids just don't need to be hearing. I don't know if they'll be able to find a way around that. I don't anticipate that they will. They would. That no, being they said, can. The, the, they can do it on radio. Okay. Uh, this, if you have a delay on a game, like a five-second delay, the uh, there can be an audio operator who hits a beep. So instead of hearing the swear word, they can beep it out, uh, which is what they have an issue with when they have radio callers sometimes because obviously not everybody's a genuine radio caller and you have to be able to not have certain language go over the air, which I assume would be possible in a broadcast setting. It would just require an extra person to do that job. So with that information, it w- I think it would be interesting to see if, if these broadcast partners go that route, if they want to get the extra person necessary for that or, or whatever is necessary for it. Um, but the, the ref body cam, that's been done before for MLS All-Star Games in the past. So that is not completely out of the question. I don't know if either you or any of our listeners have actually seen the footage, but it's really cool to watch. Uh, I believe the GoPro or whatever is placed kind of on the the ref's chest. So you really get a good view of everything that's going on. You get a really good view of when players come up to argue calls. That's always a lot of fun. So I think if MLS can find a way to do that consistently, it'd be a really successful thing. Um, That's the one thing I want to see the most is the ref body cam. Personally, I'd love to see cameras on the players, on their chests. However, with all the grabbing that happens on set pieces and when a player has broken away and the defender has no chance, no choice but to, to rip at the player, uh, that could get damaged, that could get ripped off, and it seems like the player's a little too physical for that. But the ref, on the other hand, not really an issue. So I think it'd be really cool to have access to that. Another uh, technology thing that I want to see Connor sort of touched on is is alternate camera angles. Uh, One of the things that sort of took me by surprise when I started actually playing soccer is how hard it is to see on the field. Because everything you watch when it comes to soccer, you're up at at an angle. Whether it's playing FIFA, where you see all the players on the field. Whether it's on a TV broadcast, where you see where everybody is and where everybody's going. Yeah, it's not like that on a field level, right? It's just a, oh, it's just basically a, a wall of bodies in front of you and you have to look for spaces and gaps to be able to pass or to see how things develop. So I think if the league can find a way to give fans a taste of that, it really, really open people's eyes to what's actually happening on the field in a way that they've never seen before. So that's all that on technology. I'm really interested to see what 
Don Garber meant when he said those things. Uh, hopefully it's not just just a bunch of smoke. Hopefully it's something really cool. A couple other things that Don Garber talked about on that conference call. He said they are very optimistic about teams returning to home markets to finish the season. Uh, obviously there's not an exact date set for that yet, and I don't anticipate that we'll find out any information about that until most likely the tournament is over. Uh, Darren Eels, the president of Atlanta United, he confirmed that those remaining games will be intra-conference to restrict travel. So sounds like the way the tournament is set up with Eastern Conference teams playing each other and Western Conference teams playing each other, that will continue over. I don't think there's much to be said about that. You guys probably agree, but that's probably the smartest thing to do, kind of keep teams in, in their relative geographic areas. Uh, and at this point, it's probably the smartest thing to do for this season. Players and staff and officials will be staying on Disney property at hotels. Uh, they will be by themselves, uh, with each other, of course, but by themselves away from the general public. There will be plenty of testing going on for these players, coaches, and staffs, but there is not going to be a strict testing policy for the Disney staff. So that includes uh, people cleaning the hotels, people serving food, um, all those sorts of, of um, employees involved with the Disney property. What are your guys' thoughts on that? It's been said that the Disney staff will socially distance and wear masks and, and follow all that sorts of protocol, but are either of you worried about the staff not testing? Uh, I think I... As I mentioned, I did a podcast earlier, and one of the biggest topics was the basketball because they're also playing there. Uh, Sam Sheremia came out with a ton of information yesterday about what their plans in Orlando are. And the way that they had the Disney staff sort of set up is the players would never be in the same room as a Disney employee ever, period. They would always be in different rooms. Uh, I think a similar setup will happen with MLS. I wouldn't be surprised to see them basically just identically copy what the NBA is doing. I don't really have an issue with it. I do have an issue with what the games after uh, the tournament, just because Canada does have this 14-day quarantine currently, which that granted that maybe get waived for the NHL because Toronto, Vancouver, and Edmonton could potentially be hub cities for the NHL. But the government needs to waive that quarantine period. And by August, September, I don't know if we'll have, I guess, our country will have fully waived that quarantine. And that runs into the issue of how do Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver play games? Are they just going to play each other a ton? I doubt it. Uh, are they going to make Toronto, Montreal, or Vancouver move to the States? It's another option, but... Look, I don't have an issue with the Disney staff. I think it'll be fine. I think it'll work out. Drew, what are your thoughts? Um, I think I'm on the same boat as you, Connor. Seeing the NBA kind of outline how they're going to do it was really encouraging to watch. Because, yeah, they're sharing the exact same facility as MLS. I don't know how close um, they'll be when they do come down to Disney after MLS. But seeing that NBA is doing a really good job or trying to do a really good job of keeping the Disney staff away from the players uh, is something that MLS can follow. And 
again, like you said, Connor, I wouldn't be surprised if MLS just copy and paste that from NBA into their own ideas. So I'm not too concerned with it. The NBA having their own protocol and own plan uh, definitely made me feel a little bit better about it. Um, after The games after the tournament seem, maybe I'm just a pessimist about this, but those seem a little too optimistic to me to have. I still am not on board. I don't think we'll have a season after this, but hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, but yeah, with the Disney staff, I think the NBA giving us a plan and giving us an outline of how they're doing it was really encouraging to see that MLS can kind of just copy that and do their own thing because, yeah, they're sharing the exact same facility as the NBA in Florida. I'm I'm pretty much with you guys. I think that uh, I'm not overly concerned about the Disney staff you know, spreading the virus to the players. I think that the proper protocols will be handled and masks will be worn and and social distance distancing will be followed. Um, I think, personally, I'm still a little concerned about what happens if, if one MLS player uh, comes up positive for the virus. And, you know, depending on how deep into the tournament this is and how many teams they've played or, you know, how many other players they've come into contact with, I think that's kind of a concern. But I guess we're we're going to find out how they decide to handle all that. Speaking of NBA, though, uh, the possibility has come up that NBA players can attend MLS matches and vice versa. Now, this is just a small window because NBA is going to be starting at the end of July as MLS is starting at the beginning of July. And the tournament will basically be over by the time NBA players report to Orlando, I believe. I think there's a week or two window in there. Uh, but... I put this in the rundown, but just imagine LeBron James wearing his LAFC kit, watching LAFC playing in a quarterfinal or a semifinal. Just imagine the 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 people that would latch onto this, right? It'd be really cool, I think, to see NBA fans come over to MLS um, and just to see that interaction between these superstars would be really cool. Um, I also think it'd be really fun to watch MLS players go to NBA games. I myself am not a, a giant NBA fan, and I have even less reason to watch the tournament because our beloved Hawks are not in it. Uh, but if you know some Atlanta United players or or just any MLS players decided that there were NBA games they wanted to go to, I think it'd be really cool to watch them watch the games and sort of. And I can only imagine that these broadcasts would talk to these players that are watching and just sort of get their input on watching another sport. So I think that would be really fascinating. Uh, yeah, I actually I wanted to point out with the NBA announcement, NBA players are actually going to be allowed to attend NBA broadcasts. They haven't said anything about MLS players attending, but that's an actual possibility. I'd love to see Kevin Durant at a Philadelphia, or is it Philadelphia Union or DC United that he bought? Philly? Philly. All right, so... Yeah, I'd love to see him at a Philly game. Uh, I think that'd be hilarious as a Brooklyn Nets player going against either the Red Bull or NYCFC, how those clubs would take it. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see it being a bad idea. You get people in the seats, you get inner sport knowledge. Like Now your MLS players are tapping into the NBA market and MLS is tapping into the NBA market, which would be huge. Um so yeah, I find it really positive. We'll see if they like VAR because that will be available for this tournament. And us MLS fans have, or I wouldn't, sh I shouldn't say us because I actually like VAR. But a lot of MLS fans and soccer fans in general haven't been huge fans of it. And 
look, I don't have an issue with it. NBA fans might just because they don't. They ah, uh, I'm sort of torn on that actually. Whether or not NBA fans would have an v- issue with VAR, what do you guys think? Because on one hand they're used to replays, but on the other hand VAR can be just absolutely garbage. I th- I think if if you're an NBA fan and you're watching soccer for the first time, the actual act of video replay isn't going to bother you. It's let's let's say you're an NBA fan, you're watching with your friend that's an MLS fan and understands what's happening. The problem is going to be when your friend, the MLS fan, tries to explain what's going on with VAR. Like, oh, oh, they're changing the call because the foul wasn't called right originally or they're changing the call because his leg was offside. You know, like I, I could only imagine like the little details and intricacies that are involved with some of these ticky-tack VAR calls. I, I could see that being confusing and maybe frustrating for an NBA fan. Luckily, the actual active video replay, like you said, um, Connor, is not going to be an issue, I think. Uh, what do you think about that, Drew? Yeah, I mean, I think the NBA is used, NBA fans are used to video review. I don't know if they're used to, like you said, where it seems like centimeters are determining whether a goal stands or not. Um, I think like the Premier League, like when they zoom in like way too much to see if a guy's shoulder was offside or not. And then you get like the questions of, well, how is it offside if it's his shoulder and he can't do anything with his shoulder? So NBA fans know video review. They they even know what it's like to have video review and still get the call wrong. I think just sports fans in general understand that. But I think when you get down to some of the weird rules of offside, like blocking the keeper's view when you're offside, um, what defines if you were involved in the play or not. Um, that's might grow to be confusing for people. But again, I mean, I think soccer has kind of already begun to get into some average sports fans. So maybe this might be the way um, to kind of knock it down. And like in every sport, I mean, like hockey, baseball, basketball, there's all these weird small rules that you got to understand as you get into the sport. So hopefully NBA fans and MLB fans or whatever um, understand that that's the same for soccer and won't let these small minuscule rules turn them off to following the league. Yeah, and to kind of turn that around, imagine if you're an NBA or NFL fan and you're watching soccer pre-VAR and your friend says, oh, there's no instant replay, even though there was like an egregious call on the field, right? Like imagine how frustrating that would be. So thankfully that's not something any of us are going to have to deal with. A couple other tidbits from the conference call. The national anthem will not be played before any of these matches. The reasoning is that there will not be any fans in attendance. I think that kind of sucks on MLS's behalf that this has to be publicized at the current time, especially with all the thoughts and feelings around the national anthem right now, uh, whereas normally it probably just wouldn't really be news. Uh, so it's it's good that that's taken out of the equation, I think. Uh, it's just one less thing to deal with, and, and yeah, in my opinion, it makes sense without the fans um also mls reiterated that they will support players that decide to protest obviously they can't kneel during the national anthem since there won't be a national anthem but there may be other forms of protests like we've seen in the bundesliga and epl where players kneel after goals or they wear something underneath their jersey to comment on 
the things happening in the world. So it's good to see MLS go ahead and, and jump out in front of that right now and say that there's no problem with those things. So good for them. Uh, just to circle back to testing, there's no set protocol for stopping the tournament if a certain number of positive COVID tests is reached. That is something that I assume hopefully will be taken care of before the tournament kicks off and is disclosed to the public so that everybody understands what would happen. There is a current protocol in place that if a player tests positive, they will be removed from the tournament, quarantined, and contact tracing will start. So there is something in place there. Now there's two uh, big things uh, I want us to, to get to before we wrap this podcast up. And the first one is about players with pre-existing conditions. The second thing is about uh, naming rights for the tournament. So let's do the naming rights first because that's just not as big a deal. But it was noted that there are no naming rights, right? We've already said that the tournament is the MLS's back tournament. Great creative name, by the way, just outstanding. Uh, But Don Garber actually said, quote, I don't believe there will be much new revenue opportunity, end quote, with this tournament. It's basically to help the league keep sponsorship and broadcast money that they were already expecting. Do you guys think it's a missed opportunity that there's no naming right sponsorship with this tournament? 100%. Like, you're playing this at Disney. You can't tell me that the Mickey Mouse Cup wouldn't be amazing or the Disney Cup wouldn't be amazing. Or as I mentioned earlier, the Corona Cup wouldn't be amazing. There are so many different amazing opportunities to play with your past history to make random puns to like create some actual attention behind your tournament from not just the sports community from the but the general public i think it's really disappointing that you aren't taking advantage of that i think if you have the opportunity to reach this new market to reach this new population you should, and with MLS not taking that chance, I'm really disappointed. Uh, Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I'm on board with you, Connor. I think, honestly, I didn't even catch that there were no naming rights until I looked at the outline and saw that that was a point we were going to be talking about. But now that I think about it, it's a pretty big missed shot. And I think about the NWSL, because that's kind of, as far as this goes, that's kind of the only equal thing we could compare it to as far as, far as soccer in the States. And I think their Challenge Cup has naming rights for Secret Deodorant. Um, That may be wrong, but I believe Secret is somewhere in there. So NWSL is jumping on it. Um, So I don't see why, yeah, I don't see why MLS can do it as well. Uh, I imagine that they were companies available to have those naming rights, whether it be Disney, ESPN, or whatever. So I do do think it is a missed opportunity. Um, Again, it's just another source of revenue for companies to pay a lot of money to get their name on this tournament. And I mean, obviously everyone's taken a money hit from this pandemic. So anything helps. Uh, so I think it was a missed opportunity that they could have gone with, you know, Disney or ESPN seems like the safe route. Um, I don't know if Corona would have liked to have their name on the sponsorship in that way. That would have been interesting, but for sure. I mean, there's loads of companies that I think would be willing to, put out um, a pretty penny to have their name on this tournament. So I do think, yeah, I agree. I think it was a missed opportunity from MLS. If I'm not mistaken, Heineken is the league beer sponsor. You know, we've got the Heineken man of the match, all that stuff. So I don't think Corona would have been allowed to. That being said, I don't know why Heineken didn't jump on this and say, let's make it a Heineken tournament. People are already avoiding Corona anyway. 
So why as well piggyback off of that? I'm with you guys, though. It's a, it seems like a huge missed opportunity to me. Why would you say... Well, well first of all, this tournament is only about money. That's the only real reason this tournament is happening. Garber even said it. It's to keep league sponsorship and to keep broadcast money. So why not take it a step further and try to uh, maybe promote one of your smaller sponsors like Captain Morgan and try to make it and bring in more money that way. So I think that aspect of it is is disappointing as well. Um, before we get into the, the pre-existing condition things, just a couple more small tidbits it hasn't been said yet anywhere, at least that I've seen, whether or not there will be extra time in the knockout rounds, uh, whether or not it'll go in extra time or penalties. Usually with World Cup, with the Euros, with Copa Americas, with Gold Cups, once you get past the group stage, all those knockout games get 30 minutes of extra time, and if it's still level after the extra time, it goes into penalty kicks. Um, so personally, I hope that's the route they go. I can understand, though, if the league decides to not do extra time and to just go straight to penalties uh, just due to the the lack of season so far and the lack of fitness most likely that these teams are dealing with um, and, and just the heat that they're dealing with in Orlando. So I can understand if they're not going to push the, the games into the extra 30 minutes. Hopefully there are details on that. Um, and then a little bit of news that actually broke from Sam Stagegal at The Athletic right before we started recording this podcast there are some issues right now between ESPN and Fox over how to do the broadcasts for the tournament. On the, the good side of this is that there are still a couple of weeks away before the games actually start. The bad news is there are only a couple of weeks until the games start. <laughs> so the fact that these broadcast partners don't quite have this figured out might be cause for alarm. Uh, it should be noted that... Disney is the parent company for ESPN, which is one of the league's broadcast partners. The three main ones are ESPN, Fox's Family of Networks, and Univision. Um, obviously, ESPN is going to be doing most of the heavy lifting since it is their property. It has been said, and it was reported in The Athletic, that they will be using their employees to work cameras and, and whatnot on location. That being said... Fox and ESPN specifically are working out the money details for these broadcasts. It'll be interesting to see if this provides any potential roadblocks. Also, the what could be the biggest aspect of that is the upcoming TV deal in 2022, I believe. I think the worst case scenario from this is ESPN says, you know what, Fox, you guys are being jerks. We're going to keep the tournament for ourselves. And then in two years, Fox says, screw you, MLS. You didn't let us do the MLS's back tournament. And we don't want to be one of your broadcast partners anymore. And then money doesn't get funneled into the league and into the players like it's built into the CBA. And then that's just a whole big issue down the road. That's less money, less growth from everybody. Uh, do you guys have anything to add to that? That won't be possible. Because with the broadcast agreement, it'll be written into the contract that Fox gets a certain number of regular season games or a certain percentage of the regular season games, or there'll also be some sort of agreement. So Fox will have to get, like, this isn't an if or but, this is a have to get some of the regular season games. When it gets into the knockout tournament, we might have a different discussion here. But yeah, the biggest thing that we'll be having to figure stuff out is. How do Fox pay ESPN or Disney for the 
use of the cameras, for the use of their equipment. Um, I'm going to, again, relate this just to hockey because Canadian, what a shocker. Um, in Canada, there's a thing called Hockey Night in Canada, if you're not familiar with it. It's a Saturday night broadcast, which is up until the most recent NHL broadcast deal was done by CBC, which is Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which is the government's or a government-funded, partially uh, television media company. And they would put these games on, and when Rogers bought the rights to the NHL, they got everything. Uh, so what they did is they basically forced CBC's hand and said, we are going to take all TV revenue, but we're going to let you keep Hockey Night in Canada on your on your station. We'll let you use your... We, but you have to use your employees so they don't really profit off it, but they do get to show the content and they get to show their own ads. So I wonder if something similar to that could happen where ESPN and Fox create this agreement where ESPN puts the games on and Fox just pays them X amount of money to cover the costs and maybe ESPN gets a portion of the ad revenue. Uh, that could be a possibility. It's going to take a lot of negotiating, and two weeks isn't a lot of time to do this, but it will have to get hammered out in the next probably two weeks minimum, or maximum, I guess, just because you have to start informing people who are going to work the cameras, to work the audio, uh, potentially play-by-play, if you have them go to the games. I know you could do that theoretically remotely, but that's also an issue. Um and I have a feeling Fox will want to send their own broadcast crews because right now they're paying people to do nothing. And you want them doing something. Or if they're all freelance, they're not earning an income. And you want to help out the people who have been loyal to you. So it's going to be really interesting to see from a broadcast perspective and a media perspective how these two sides work this out because obviously they're competitors. Obviously, Fox has also had some economic issues recently. Um, I think a couple years ago or a few years ago, I know in Australia, I can't remember if it was the entire company, but they lost hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. Um, so we'll see if that plays a factor, whether Fox just says we can't be bothered and how much of an impact, as you mentioned, this will have on the next TV deal. You know, ESPN or MLS is doing this specifically, as you mentioned, to try to appease to Disney and to ESPN. And who knows? Drew, you have any thoughts on this? Um, no, I mean, it's for sure going to be interesting. Um, again, like Josh said, that news kind of just broke before we started recording this, so I don't have too much on it. But for sure, playing the tournament at Disney um, with ESPN is going to create a whole different set of circumstances than if it were a regular season. So that's going to be interesting um, that Fox Sports has to have those games um, and how those two companies are going to work together to televise these games. Because, yeah, like we've been saying, it's all about money at this point. And there's a lot of money in TV. So MLS is going to try and keep as much of that money as they can. Um, but before we wrap this up, Josh mentioned it a little bit um, about players with pre-existing conditions can decide along with their doctors if they want to play or not. Uh, I don't think we got any clarification with players whose wives are expecting. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking of Carlos Vela. 
Um, and Jordan Morris, who has diabetes, so that's obviously getting a lot of news because they're both such incredible players about pre-existing conditions. Um, guys, what did you guys make of MLS kind of giving the players that option as this tournament goes about? I think it's going to be really interesting just to see which players decide that it's in their best interest to miss the tournament. Um, you know, obviously we want nothing but, you know, uh, players health to come first and foremost sorry excuse that alarm um, you know we want players health to come first and foremost with all this so if someone like Jordan Morris who has diabetes doesn't feel safe going to the tournament then no one should make him go to the tournament uh, like Drew mentioned there hasn't really been a clarification on players whose wives are expecting and again Carlos Vela is the biggest name that comes to mind although if I'm not mistaken there are at least another player or two that has a, a similar situation um, that they might run into. So obviously as a fan, I want all the players to be there. I want especially the best players to be there because it's going to give us the best games, the most interesting product. Um, but if a player doesn't want to go, I don't think there should be anything stopping them from going, especially if they already have a pre-existing condition, especially if they are susceptible to this virus. And, and you know, health comes first and foremost got anything to add to that connor uh i do actually i think it'll be really interesting to see if mls allows guests because i think it could work around to the whole wives expecting thing could be you allowing them to come and then having as they'll definitely have either way at the disney facilities uh medical tent area thing i know that they have that for the nba so i don't see a reason why they won't be able to share that with mls and they could potentially, I know this probably isn't the best thing, but could give birth on campus where they will be quarantined and they'll be in a safe environment where they there is no risk of catching coronavirus or COVID-19 uh, for their child for, in this case, we'll go with Carlos Vela or his partner. Um, I think it'll, like, you can't make any players go, which is also, like, you can't force somebody to go realistically they're their own person they can make their own decisions uh i have a feeling they'll strongly recommend it but to those people who can't go because they have asthma which maybe not in soccer but potentially um some other breathing condition maybe a heart condition or pulmonary condition any sort of medical issue that could potentially risk their life you shouldn't be putting them at risk when you could have them stay home and be way, way, way safer than going and playing in a tournament that realistically for a lot of these teams isn't going to mean anything. And that's sort of where I stand on everything. Yeah, absolutely. As players um, make their decisions, I think as fans, it's our role kind of not to question it um, and understand that, you know, I think you can be safe to say that everyone wants to play in this tournament, but they all understand that safety is very important to themselves and to the people around them as well. So if a player decides to opt out, I think his fans are role not to really question that, um, just take them at their word. But nonetheless, it's going to be really exciting to have MLS back um, as we wind down this episode. Uh, yeah, thanks so much, guys, for listening uh, to another week of MLS Multiplex. Uh, as the tournament keeps 
gets back and MLS comes back up, be sure to visit the website, uh, mlsmultiplex.com, for our articles, um, us three, and articles from a large number of contributors who have been working so hard uh, during this break. And now that soccer is back, it's so easy to write about soccer again. So we're all very excited, and you guys should be as well, to have articles coming in from MLS and WSL and just all things soccer in North America. So please go visit MLSmultiplex.com, give some stories or read to get ready for the tournament. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors written work at MLSmultiplex.com.